So in the interest of getting in our April quota, here's what's on my mind on this very early Good Friday, April 19th, 2019. The day or the morning or the night before the International Fan Festival here in Toronto at the Metro Toronto Convention Center. And well, I, and for sure we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, after it happens in a future episode. And hopefully we'll be able to tape that before the end of April. Things have been busy lately. Let's start this time around with a topic that seems to be talked about a lot here on this show a lot. Live action movies. Yes, live action movies. And uh, I think the biggest news uh, to most people over the last oh, couple months, last month or so since our last episode, was the announcement that Netflix uh, or whoever is producing the Netflix version, uh, live action version of Cowboy Bebop, have announced at least four members of the live action cast. Most notably, John Cho, he of Star Trek rebooted fame and uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle fame, has been given the lead role as Spike Spiegel in this adaptation, among others. Uh, Mustafa Shakir, who, uh, who's in, Mar- in Luke Cage, will, um, will play... What's his name? I keep forgetting now. Huh. We'll play Jet. Okay, thank you. Anyway, just on, I guess the focus this time uh, with all the, the announcements will be um, with at least the initial cast announcement is on John Cho himself, who by all accounts is a very, very well-respected Asian-American actor in, in the acting community down in the States. Um, acting chops-wise, he deserves the role. He, he's, he certainly could pull the role and has the role certainly on, his, on merit. I guess the real question will always be, will really be um, his uh, action-fighting skills. Obviously, um, obviously, it's known, known Spike as a... Spike has his Bruce Lee-like uh, Jeet Kune Do style in the anime. Let's see uh, how that ends up looking in the live-action version. Just off the bat, I would not be surprised if we don't really see any um, any Bruce Lee look to his, to his fighting. Just putting that out there now. Although I'll be really impressed if it, uh, if it does show up. Uh, just, um... Well, let's see. Uh, go, let, let me go down the initial list. Uh, Daniela Pineda from Jurassic World and Alex Hassel, uh, will, who starred in The Miniaturist, will take on the roles of, um, of Faye Valentine and Vicious, respectively, for this uh, live-action version. I guess there's um, other uh, question marks people are wondering. What about Ed? Ed has, uh, whoever's playing Ed has been announced, and uh, there are some theories out there that Ed may not 
may not even show may not show up in the initial um in the initial episodes or too quickly at least uh, in comparison to when when um when he showed up in the uh, in the anime series so um we may see a we may see a significant arc go by before we see ed if at all and and we can say the same thing almost about ein um no word on ein whether or not uh, the dog will make an appearance and I guess, uh, I guess the one final character people are wondering about uh, to be cast is uh, Julia. But I guess, um, I guess uh, we'll find out soon. I guess we'll find out in due time. But uh, the, the, these four, these um, four initial announcements concerning the live-action Cowboy Bebop are certainly worth a conversation. And uh, I guess. Um, I, I can't say I have anything against it, but I'm really curious to see what what the interpret what uh, how um, what how the interpretation will go with um, Cho Shakir Pineda and Hassel uh, in these roles in these roles in the initial go. Uh, there's obviously obviously with every aspect will be will of this will be scrutinized and. Every person involved in this particular adaptation will bring their own take on it, whether it be the uh, whether it be the behind the scenes creative forces, and of course the uh, actors that'll depict these characters. So, you know, remember, folks, um, I'm always the one. Uh, I've always been on record as saying I'm. I uh, I never sh- totally shut down. Any adaptation, any live-action adaptation of an anime or manga, or any adaptation of a pre of a previously um, known work, because I'm just curious to see the interpretations and what the producers of that that adaptation or everybody involved in that adaptation, um, what aspects those producers found ma- that mattered to them, and in their depiction of this uh, in their depiction in their uh, depiction of this work so uh i'm keeping an open mind on this one and uh pretty sure i'll have my netflix subscription when it finally comes up uh is there is there a date on this no i don't think a date has been um has been made known yet so but i'll i'll certainly be looking forward to this when the time comes all right, the other adaptation uh, I wanted to bring up was Roni Kenshin. Last or earlier this week, or la- late last week, or earlier this week, I keep forgetting exactly when it was announced. It was announced that um, Roni Kenshin would also return. Um, would have two more live action movies. Now, this is uh this announcement comes the better almost more than 6 years onward from the uh late or mid to late uh, 2012 adapta- live action adaptations which spawned a trilogy that uh, ended in I believe 2014 if memory serves me right. Those were really well done adaptations just for reference. Lots of fun to watch and um I thought that was and I thought I thought uh, the live-action adaptations were over with the end of those last two uh, of the, the the end of those um, the last two films that came out back in 20, 2014. 
was it 2014 or 2015 or whatever? Yeah, uh, 2014. I don't have my notes totally on me right now. But obviously, there was still one final arc to one final um, story to be told in the live action, and that was the uh, Jinchu arc, the Inishi arc. And I guess that's what's been um, that's what's going to happen in uh, in these final two movies in twenty, which were set to come out in the summer of twenty twenty. Hey, the Olympic year in Tokyo. Uh, this was a well-done adaptation. Uh, anybody who's seen it, it would, would know. Um, Funimation, I know, as many of you know, picked it up, and presumably that's on their uh, newly minted streaming service, um, which I think went, to, went, went, went full on uh, this month. Um, I've seen... I've, I, I do have a more of a vivid memory seeing the uh, first movie, and I was really... I really enjoyed that. Seeing bits and pieces of the other two movies, I haven't sat down to watch those other two movies... Pretty sure they turned out well. Maybe I'm biased. Everyone knows I'm a huge Kenshin fan. I'm looking forward to these. I'm just waiting to see who picks it up. Next, I wanted to uh, air out a couple frustrations. Mild frustrations, but uh, I guess frustrations nonetheless. But they're kind of linked together in many ways, too. These are two separate things in, in a lot of ways, but they are linked by... One common title, and uh, we've talked about it before too. And that common title is Kimigori Orange Road. Let's start with what we talked about when we, with one of the things we talked about when we came back, back uh, a little more than a year ago. It was the Kickstarter. It was the Kickstarter for the, um, it was Digital Manga's Kickstarter for the uh, Kimigori Orange Road manga. The Odyssey is reaching its end for me personally, although it's not quite over yet. After, um, now the, now let's uh, rewind a little bit on this. The um, Kickstarter for the Kimigori Orange Road manga happened way back in, in 2016, May, in tw May of 2016, and through various, uh, and um, obviously it, it went very well, and and it was promised to be delivered toward at the very end of 2016, but through various delays, um, uh, the creator Matsumoto's very uh, various illnesses, he's been sick. Uh, yes, the, that was probably one of the key um, key aspects to those delays. But nonetheless, it had been delayed until the last number of months when. Um, when they finally got, when Digital Manga and everybody there finally, um, finally ramped things up and got everything out there. Now, my tier, uh, my my particular tier was I'm from what I could gather, one of the last to be shipped out, and um, it's been received. But here's a here's the story. Here's there's a story behind that. And it's not a complete story, and it kind of illustrates one of the frustrations of being Canadian. Actually, this is going to be a common thread in both of these Kimigori Orange Road stories, so bear with me for the next little bit. If uh, back, uh, back during the Kickstarter in, uh, in 2016, um, if you were in Canada, there really wasn't much of a shipping option. For Can uh, for Canadians, if you want to have the um, if you were going to order the 
the actual books, the actual physical books, and by the way, the tier I bought also gave me the um, ebook version. So I've long had the digital copies. I've had the digital copies of the manga since, uh, since I believe, um, late 2017. Tells you how much time has passed. Late 20, or is it? Uh, let me check that. Check that for a second. No, correct that. Late 2016. Oh, dear. Yeah, it was uh, late 20, 2016. So this tells you how much uh, how much time has passed. Um, so I've had the, the digital copies for that long and not the physical copies. This is how much, how bad the delays have been. Anyway, going back to the whole shipping bit, uh, shipping, to, shipping to Canada bit, they didn't have a, a really good shipping option for Canada. So uh, if you want to order the books and have them shipped to Canada, at least in my in the case of my tier, um, which was all all the volumes, all the volumes shipped at once, I was looking at another sixty dollars, uh, I believe sixty bucks American, to have it shipped to Canada. So I didn't take that. Uh, I didn't um, take that tier or make that pledge, and I made a promise that I would eventually um, have it sent to somebody to one of my relatives in the states well uh, as i said those things are now um those things have been shipped and uh, the odyssey's almost over but they currently sit in the possession of uh of my uh, cousin uh, who lives in the outskirts of boston uh, he told me uh, he uh, sent me a message it's been sent there uh, which i i request uh, which i did request to ask him to do and it's sitting in his basement. So uh, one of us will have to meet each other. Uh, one of us will be meeting up with the, uh, going to visit the other sometime in the near future. We don't know when, but really there's no hurry. We've waited six years. Uh, sorry. Uh, I've waited three years on this. What's a couple more months? What's another half year probably? I, I I do think, uh, I, although I do hope to see my uh, beloved cousin uh, sometime before the end of 2019. He did tell me one thing, though. If um, and and I take his word because he does work for uh, for UPS, I believe he does work for one of the uh, the major um, shipping companies. I think it's UPS, but um, or it could be FedEx, but I know he works for one of them. He told me that they would try and check the name on the uh, name uh, the name on the uh, on the address to make sure it's actually a resident, a re the resident uh, or the um, actual occupant of the address. Otherwise, um, the company, the shipping company, may have to refuse to deliver the package. I don't know the reasoning behind that. I never really asked him, but if anybody can elaborate on that one for me, um, please let me know. There's a part of me wondering. I guess it's either a technicality. I uh, Maybe somebody can enlighten me on this um, before I uh, talk to my cousin on it uh, again in the future. But, uh, uh, you know, as I said, the Odyssey's almost over. I'll tell you when it is. I'll let you know when those uh, books are finally um, in my own possession. But at least I know... There's a light at the end, or there really is a light at the end of the tunnel on that one. Okay, the other frustration I have, the other Kimigori Orange Road related frustration I have is actually with right stuff. Um, we mentioned back, well, it, we mentioned back in December that um, 
that the um, Blu-ray edition, the uh, Blu-ray re-release of of Kimigori Orange Road was was going to happen, and it happened back in back in uh, at the end of March. I was supposed and. I long pre-ordered it. Obviously, I made it known that I long pre-ordered it with right stuff um, before the new year. But I got this strange email um, in late March saying, um, "Please give us a call to double check your uh, double check some aspects, uh, some information concerning your um, your uh, payment method." And I gave them a call and they said um, the addresses didn't exactly match up. They said the computer system is very finicky about every aspect of your uh, mailing and billing addresses. And um, one thing led to another. But bottom line, at least on the initial go, was that my order was actually cancelled. And I had to play telephone. I had to like call write stuff uh, oh, almost half a dozen times over this. And to be fair to them, they they did clear it up. The um, and the package with the uh, with the um, Blu-rays, among other items, and we'll talk about. I'll tell you about that when the uh, in the future episode. Um, the package apparently is on its way. It'll uh, arrive here just after uh, Easter here, just after Easter apparently, according to a FedEx um, email I got this morning. But the uh, moral of the story and. The whole of uh, the upshot of it was that my billing address didn't totally match my um my actual home address. I mean, in some instances, uh, in some instances, it could be uh, Mike or Michael, and um, in former ver in uh, older versions of my address, um. I refer to my hometown, uh, to my current uh, residence as Toronto, or, and we make this no secret, or Etobicoke, which is actually Toronto as well. Um, the Etobicoke, which is the west end of Toronto, the western tip of Toronto, um, or the southwest tip of Toronto, I guess, since, it's right, since uh, it runs along Lake Ontario. But um, the computer system is finicky, so if it doesn't match up, it has the right. Uh, the system will may end up voiding orders, and that's exactly what happened here. Uh, as I said, to be fair to the uh, to the guys that write stuff, they didn't ap- make it totally clear what really was the issue before it did get canceled, and um, they were very. Uh, their customer service was pretty good in uh, getting that all um, back on track. So, um, as I said, I, I as I said, I'm I, I got to be fair to them, and. Um, you know, all's well that ends well. But the only thing that, the only real thing to be upset of that I may have any real beef with is I'm uh, receive. I'll be getting this package maybe three weeks later than I should have. Okay, it happens. But um, those are my two Kimigori Orange Road beefs uh, for this uh, episode. Probably plenty more to come. Okay, my last story before I have to turn in. It's less uh, is is less Japanese pop culture and more Japanese sport. Trust me, I, trust me. I'll bring it back on the pop culture side a bit later. And by the end of this, uh, I'll probably um, play a bit of Six Degrees of Separation with it as well.
bear with me on this one. You might like this. You might like this. Uh, on the on the Twitter feed in the next, uh, hopefully, um, not too long after I put this up, you're gonna you're, I'm gonna put up a couple photos I took with um, a photo a couple photos I took of the um, of two members of Japan's uh, the of Japan's um, bronze medal winning women's curling team from last year's uh, Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang. The, uh, it's a picture of both. Uh, it's a picture of the of Satsuki Fujisawa, the skip of that of the uh, women's of the Japanese women's Olympic t- curling team, and her third, um, Chinami Yoshida. Let's start. I'll start with those two stories. I'll start with that, uh, with pictures of that, and then we'll we're gonna go back in time just a little bit. Just um, now, um, the 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 curling team was um, the. Japanese women's curling uh, Olympic curling team were actually in Toronto last week for a Bonspiel, a, 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 a tournament, the uh, Grand Slam of Curling's Players Championships at the uh, Madame Athletic Center here on at, near Ryerson. It's basically what's become of Maple Leaf Gardens. We'll talk about that maybe another time if anyone's interested. But um, they were here for a tournament. Got to the quarterfinals, got knocked out by the reigning Olympic champions, Anna Anna um, Anna Storberger. I, I forgot the name off the top. Oh, Anna um, Anna Hasselberg, um, the reigning Olympic champions. They got knocked out in the quarterfinals. They actually played a fellow Japanese team. Um, uh, say, um, they actually played a fellow Japanese team. Uh, I'm just looking at this up. Uh, Sayaka Yoshimura. Who's like the number four? To probably, um, probably one of the, uh, the one of the top teams also for coming out of Japan. They uh, that was the match I saw. I saw them play, and then they played um, Rachel Holman in an elimination game. Didn't do bad at the tournament. Anyway, let's uh, let's uh, talk about them um, after the match. After their uh, match with uh, the other Japanese team, took the, that's when I took those photos. Had a nice long conversation actually with their coach, who's from Calgary. A uh, guy by the name of uh, J.D. Lind. Nice guy. Um, big Calgary Flames fan, so my condolences at this point. Because as we're taping this, uh, the Flames are down 3-1 to one to the Colorado Avalanche in the uh, first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Let's go back a little bit. Okay. It had me... Th- uh, we had a nice long conversation about the history of um, curling, especially of the women's team, since uh, Lind, uh, since, we were ta- since we were talking about the women's team. And the history of the women's team in um, of Japanese women's uh, of the Japanese women's team in curling, they'll be coming up up on their thirtieth anniversary next year of their first appearance at the World Championships, um, and obviously it's culmin it's gone um, it's taken a lot of time, but it's culminated in recent years with uh, Fujisawa's team who were runners up in twenty sixteen at the World Championships and of course the bronze medal last year after. Uh, um, after coming off probably one of the watershed moments in Asian curling history, the semifinal match with South Korea, which uh, I was told was the most most watched curling game in history when that happened uh, back at the Olympics by sheer numbers, which it's Asia, sort of makes sense. Okay, let's go back just a little bit. Uh, it had me thinking a little bit about curling's depiction in video games and and um 
I know it was depicted in in a PlayStation version, briefly depicted in a in a PlayStation version promoting a uh, game promoting the 1998 Olympics. Just one of those, you know, multi-sport type games, which was, uh, I guess, a nice little footnote. But, but I also came across. I remember seeing like a, knowing that, uh, seeing pictures of a actual dedicated video game coming out uh, that came out for it, and I learned a little bit more about that. It really the game, the game. Uh, I try. I remember seeing pictures of it and actually seeing video of it. And well, it featured uh, the characters in it were feature looked like super deformed character were like super deformed characters. It was a very cartoony look on the game. Think of it as um, oh, think of it as Hot Shots Golf. Yeah, think about think of it as a Hot Shots Golf type presentation for uh, for um, for a curling game. Adapt that. That's sort of probably the best way I could describe this particular game. It was made in 1999, and I, I looked it up a little bit more, and I'll put up the links. It was called Super Light 1500 Series The Curling. It, it never made, and I can make a guarantee, uh, this guarantee, almost make this guarantee. It, it never did make the, um, never did see uh, North American shores, but uh, something tells me if you at least released that game in English in Canada, it would have sold pretty good. Anyway, um, I'll, I'll put up a I'll put up a link to some pictures from that game. Now let's play the Six Degrees of Separation before. Um, well, I won't play it just yet, but um, yes, we did have a. But uh, going back to JD Lind, we did have this really nice long conversation about um, about the way the the way uh, curling has gone in Asia, and it isn't just the women's. Obviously, the focus was the women's. Because, as I said, Lind is the coach. But the men haven't done badly either. Um, the uh, men's, the Japanese men's team actually finished fourth at this at the recent World Champ- Men's World Championships. And so, uh, actually, so did the women's team. Um, they finished, the, another women's team uh, finished, uh, Japanese women's team finished fourth at the recent World Championships as well. Uh, coincidentally, they lost out on bronze to, who else? South Korea. Okay, six degrees of separation. Let's play this. Um, the uh, let's try this. I, I'm going to play six degrees of separation. The now my first uh, encounter with the um, the 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 super light the curling game that I just mentioned was actually in Chinatown. I saw a bootleg copy of it. On that bootleg copy, if memory serves me right. And it's a different cover. Uh, the cover. The actual cover is actually quite different. But the bootleg cover I saw featured a picture of Mayumi Okotsu on it. Mayumi Okotsu was the uh, skip of the 1998 Japanese women's team at the uh, at the Olympics. Um, and it's gonna and and we're gonna start linking this uh, pretty good a bit later on. Um, it was her last year with this particular team. Her third took over that team the next year. Her third was Akiko Kato. And Akiko Kato um, led that team the following year in 1999 when, they, uh, when the Japanese uh, women's pro- curling program reached its first real milestone. And that milestone was 
beating Canada at the Women's World Championships. Colleen Jones, a, a CBC broadcaster who I don't know if she still is with CBC and can be considered one of the one of the greatest to play the game because of her because um she she won the, she's she held a record she briefly held the record for most um, national championships as a skip. But um Akiko Kato led uh was the skip of the first Japanese team to have beaten to have beaten a Canadian team at the Women's World Championships. One of her um one of her um one of the other players from that team was uh, Ayumi Ogasawara. She was uh, Ogasawara was her second, was a Kato's second on that 1999 team. Over time, um, Ogasawara went up, the, moved up the ranks, and actually herself became quite accomplished, representing uh, Japan three times at the Olympics in 2002 as skip. Um, Oh, not a skip, but um, as a, yeah, in 2002, in 2006, and then in, uh, in 2014. So um, she was the uh, skip of the, uh, Ogasawara was the skip of the uh, 2000, um, 2006 and 2014 uh, women's Olympic teams, and they, that's, where um the well, where curling became even a little bit more popular in the japanese uh, in the japanese um psyche she was the second just for reference in 2002 one of her players into in 2014 when she skipped that team was the was one of her teammates was chinami yoshida who is in the pictures i just showed you she was the alternate on the 2014 team, and then obviously she was the third on the 2018 team that won, that broke through that and won bronze. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your little um, how many how many uh, how many degrees of separation did we use in that? I, I sort of lost count. Let's see. Um, Okotsu, Kato, um, Ogasawara, and then Yoshida. Okay, I, I, that was four. Not bad. Four degrees of separation. Way to go. Okay. But um, as I said, it had me thinking a little bit about the video game. So um, we'll put a picture there just to end it off. And that's it. I already know this is uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 minutes. So this isn't brief. <laughs> I, th I thought it would be. Imagine what would have happened if uh, Austin was around. Actually, Austin Shamarki and I are all set to attend the uh, International Fan Festival this weekend, and we'll meet up, and then we'll discuss. Uh, so we'll all give our thoughts on it next time we're on the air, and hopefully that'll be maybe next week if we're real lucky. We'll give our thoughts on uh, on it. It's a it's this is going to be a really interesting time uh, because I think the um th some very some of the key events on the uh, anime social calendar. This begins uh, like a big whirlwind of a like a month on the anime social calendar. So there's now the anime, the international fan festival, and then of course TCAF in early, in um, in mid May, and then of course Anime North at the end of May. And um, once again, as an official as an official podcast of Anime North, we would like to we it is our honor to once again announce. 
that we will be taping there. It has been confirmed this week. We confirmed it uh, this week with um, with uh, Norman Eileen. So uh, once again, we will be taping on the Friday night and Saturday night of Anime North at 11 p.m. So and maybe this time around, we'll actually have some guests. More details on that to come. But um, but if you're interested and wanna just uh, just chill out uh, uh, to wind down your uh, wind down each of the first two evenings of Anime North, you'll know. You can hit us up uh, back in the, uh, I think it's the Delta again. Um, it's still called the Delta. So uh, you can hit us up in the uh, Delta Hotel near the uh, Anime North office. That'll be at 11 p.m. on the Friday night and the Saturday night. And uh, a couple surprises, hopefully a few pleasant surprises in store. So um, that's about it. Nothing else to really add to this. Just, uh, it is Easter weekend, so... Um, if you're uh, not in Toronto, not in Toronto, uh, enjoy that. And if you are in Toronto and uh, even going to the Fan Fest, uh, hopefully maybe I'll see you there or enjoy it. I'll be curious to hear what many of you say. So if you have any uh, questions or feedback, and oh yeah, hit up our Twitter feed for the fo- for the uh, curling photos, of course, uh, that I just mentioned. Uh, AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com is our email address, and... Um, at Anime Roundtable is our Twitter handle, and uh, oh yeah, our website, that's pretty obvious too, AnimeRoundtable.com. Whatever you're doing this Easter weekend, whether it's um, the Fan Fest or just settling, uh, just chilling out and enjoying the holiday, make it a good one, and we'll hopefully see you one more time uh, before the end of the month, and uh, one more time before, one or two more times before Anime North itself. Talk to you then.